Eric Wonderly. He uh, works with us in the small group leadership team. He is responsible for new leader uh, processing applications, interviews, helping um, groups get kicked off for the first time, making sure that first trimester they're alive and, and still breathing. And so, Eric, I appreciate he's going to be here with me this session, and we're going to do this together. So I'm going to let Eric take over and say hi to Eric. Thanks, Matt. Thank you. <laughs> I've also, uh, Matt didn't mention, I've been involved with small groups for about 15 years here at Golden Hills. So I have a little bit of experience, but just a little bit. I by no means know it all. Um, during this session, we're going to cover uh, what it means to just begin to be an instrument in the hands of the Redeemer in, our, uh, in a person's life. I want to back up a little bit to the last uh, slide that Matt went over and a couple of the points in there. Um, how can we be instruments of change in a person's life? And three ways, personal ministry, more effective when it, when it reflects the way Jesus works in our own lives. I think that's key. And I think we probably all agree that we want to look to, to Jesus as the model for the way that we do our own ministry because he did it perfectly. He did it the right way. He addressed all the issues that we're going to address as leaders and facilitators. We're also God's ambassadors and we're to represent the methods the message and the character of God as we relate to other people. And Paul Tripp in his book um, comes up with a sort of a model, and it's just a model. It's just a way to approach personal ministry, and that's love, know, speak, do. And it just reflects Christ's example and helps us to gauge how effective we're doing in our own relationships. And Matt and I are going to cover the love, know, portion of this, and then uh, Vinny and Josh are going to do the speak do in the next session after this. So, Eric, how come it's not speak do love no? Well, <laughs> how many people have, uh, raise your hands if you've ever just, you hear somebody and immediately you want to say something to them? <laughs> how many of us always... How many of us think we have the best advice for someone else when exactly when they need it? And it doesn't always go over real well because that person, first of all, we may not even have permission to speak to that person at that point. And uh, that's why the love, no speak, do model works a little bit better. We've got to be able to love and share God's love with a person, and we need to get to know people uh, before we really earn the right or have the ability to speak to whatever their heart needs are. We're not, again, we're not just trying to change behavior. We're trying to address what the heart is, and that's where the, the real change needs to happen. So I want to just have a quick discussion and talk about what role do relationships play in our ministry. So what role do they play? Just throw, throw something out there. Instrumental, okay. Connections. Vital. Trust. 
acceptance. Mm -hmm. Is it about, is it all about us? No. Um, it's not about us. And are our relationships mere luxuries or gifts from God? And are our relationships just merely for our benefit? You know? Are you just having people over just so you feel good about, you know, I'm a small group leader here at Golden Hills, and I have a group of 25 people that come to my house every week just to hear me teach and preach the word of God to them. Um, relationships, obviously, are a lot deeper than that. Those of you who are married realize that we're not married just for, solely for our own benefit. Um, that doesn't work that way. Um, the next thing that we kind of want to, so, you know, God has a higher goal for our relationships and friendships than our present personal happiness. Um, God's relationship with us is loving and redemptive. Our salvation in Christ opens the door for relationships with others that reflect those qualities. Everything that we're doing is a result of the fact that we've already encountered Christ and he's saved us and redeemed us and he's loved us. And our relationships are opportunities to just continue that and work in and allow Christ to work in and through us. Um, and we want to build relationships that encourage God's transforming work, i.e., you know, redemptive relationships. I think one of the major things that, that's impacted me, and we'll touch on it in a little bit, is the idea of change. Is the idea of, you know, during this process, um, God's transformed me. And Matt's going to talk a little bit about what that looks like, but it's change. And then this process of sanctification, of growing more and more Christ-like over time, is this process of change. And we're not looking just to put Band-Aids on people, but we're really looking to address the heart issues and, and uh, see change and see God actually transform people at that heart level, at that who they are underneath all the behaviors and things that we display. So with that, I'm going to turn yeah. it back over to Matt. How many of you guys have heard the term redemptive relationship and said, what does that mean? Redemptive relationship? That sounds cool, but uh, what does that mean? What does that mean? Does anybody want to, what is a redemptive relationship? I mean, not, not necessarily the one we have with God. That would be easier to, to define. But if God's wanting me to have redemptive relationships with people in my life, what, it, what does that even mean? Huh, good. Yeah, it means you have to be forgiving because forgiveness is part of redemption. Good. Go with that. Unconditional love. Yep, picking up steam now, yeah. Restoration, uh, reconciliation. And why? these all have a, a common theme to them, right? This, this is how God has related to us. This is, these were all part of the process of our redemption because God's relationship with us was a redeeming relationship. And we are now ambassadors for Christ, and we are now becoming more and more like the Redeemer, a.k.a. sanctification, right? 
we're coming, becoming more and more like Jesus in everything we do, including the way that we have relationships. So it would make sense if I'm a Christian and I'm being more and more sanctified and crafted into looking like Jesus, then uh, my relationships might have a flavor of redemption. Not that I'm redeeming anyone, but I'm reflecting and modeling and being an ambassador of the redeemer who redeemed me. And since I couldn't redeem myself, guess what I'm going to do if I care about a person? I'm going to model that redemptive activity that God did for me, and then I'm going to bring him to Jesus. Man. I'm going to tell him about Christ. Because I, I don't really have all that much to offer unless I understand that I can be an instrument in the Redeemer's hand. Then all of a sudden, I'm his hands and his feet and everything. I'm being used by God in my relationship. It changes a lot. So a redemptive relationship basically is partnering with Jesus and the Holy Spirit um, in, some, in, in the ongoing work that God wants to do in people's lives. Not what I want to do. See, that's where I get hung up. Because I think I know what they need to do. And I got to watch that. So we're talking about knowing people and loving people before we talk about speaking into people, speaking truth into people's lives. And then the do part is where we, God would actually use us to provide some, some steps for people or for some structure for people or some advice for people. Yeah, we want to we wanna do that. There are times when we, God wants us to challenge or encourage people away from something towards something? Absolutely. We're not, the last thing we're trying to do here today is to tell you to stop speaking truth into people's lives or offering direction. That's the last thing we want to tell you to do. What we are introducing, however, that may be a new concept, is what does it mean to really know somebody? And what does it mean to really love somebody? And then relying on God to offer the advice, and that's where it gets sketchy. So I do want to address something that we thought might pop into your head, because I hear this a lot. Well, yeah, I'm earning the right to speak truth to you. Yeah. So how long have you known that person? Like six years. But I, I'm earning the right. Well, how long do you think it's going to take before you actually, well, I don't know. I'm just going to wait until I feel comfortable. Well, first of all, can I say that the speaking and doing part, probably not going to feel, doesn't always feel comfortable, even when God's behind it. Probably especially when God, ask the Apostle Paul and those guys how comfortable they felt when they were speaking truth to people on the mission trips as they're holding stones in their hands, right? No, it doesn't. We can't wait till we feel good about it. That's not what I mean by getting to know somebody. And again, it could happen instantly. You could meet somebody on a BART train. And the concepts of knowing them with what we're going to teach you here in a few minutes about asking the right questions and looking for these entry points into their heart, God could let you get to know that person 
and display love to that person between the MacArthur BART station and the Montgomery BART station, and you're speaking to them in the Embarcadero. Okay, that could happen. It's not a length of time, Lori. That's a better way to put it, I think. We're, we're getting the green light from God. We are in sync with God. We are in step with the Spirit. And there are certain people in our lives, maybe it's our own kids, or maybe it's somebody in our court, and we've been trying for years, and it's not happening. So let's just not put a time limit on it. It's not about knowing and loving people isn't tied to time. It's tied to the wonderful counselor. It's tied to the redeemer. It's his time. In his time, that's the time. It could be quickly. could take 20 years of praying and investing. I don't know. I don't have to know. I'm just trying to keep in step with God. So we're talking about, uh, Eric and I are talking about really knowing people and really loving people and a very incredibly important point that we're trying to make. Ready? Is that the relationships, these redemptive relationships that God is calling us to have with people are modeled in the way that he relates to us. Super important. He wants us to relate to our children, our spouses, our friends, people in our small group, he wants us to relate to them the way that he has related to us. And I've got a couple of theological points here that I'm sure every person in this room already knows, but they bear repeating because they're amazing every time I look at them. What kind of relationship do we have with God? What, what does redemption look like? Well, justification, just, we're justified. We're justified before a holy God for Christians. What does that mean? In justification by faith, God declares us to be righteous based on the perfect life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Can someone just say amen, hallelujah, praise the Lord, right? We're justified. Now, as, I, as I'm saying this, and I know, again, it's nothing new for you guys, but as I'm saying this, Listen to it through the filter of, now, how, how does this translate into me having a relationship with somebody else? My first question is, are, am I dealing with somebody who's justified before God or not? Right? Maybe they think they are, but they're not. I don't, it's it's going to cross my mind. Am I, am, am I in a relationship with somebody who is understands that they are justified before God, or are they earning, trying to earn favor with God? Do you have any Christian friends that you are concerned about that have bought into the moral gospel, where they're, they're Christians, maybe they've been coming to Golden Hills or whatever for years, and it, it's just apparent to you they're still hung up on works, or they're trying to earn, and it's just in the way they talk, right? And you're, you're asking yourself, do they understand justification? This is going to play factor in, in a big way in the way I'm going to relate to people, right? And it's not just because I'm a pastor and I counsel people. Have you ever talked to somebody about what the Bible says? You're counseling people, okay? You've got a, you're a theologian to some degree. You are offering biblical counseling. If you've ever asked, answered a question for your child or anybody, a theological question. 
So understanding our own justification, realizing how God relates to us is a huge step toward how I'm going to try to build redemptive relationships with others. In justification, Christ's righteousness is credited to our account. Justification removes our sin and replaces it with Christ's righteousness, making us acceptable to God and thus, what? Able to have a relationship with him. Because if it wasn't for all of that, if it wasn't for the gospel, if it wasn't for the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, I'm not having a relationship with God, and neither are you. So I'm looking, I'm understanding that my relationship with God is through the gospel, the good news about what Jesus has accomplished on my behalf. That is going to set the stage for how I relate to other people. Okay, uh, beautifully uh, written in Romans 3.21. You guys probably all have this memorized. It's hanging above your couch. Amen, right? But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. It's by faith, not works. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. That we are standing here justified. Amen. Right? How about adoption? I mean, justification is awesome enough, but not only does he justify us and declare us righteous, but he brings us into his family. He adopts us as his children. He adopts us and welcomes us into his family. Being in God's family means we enjoy all the rights and privileges of being his child. Can you see how this might change the way that I'm talking to somebody? Instead of just going after their sin or their behavior or whatever, I want to bring the gospel into this. Instead of calling them out on something, I'm calling them up like, hey, you're a child of God, man. You're, you're declared righteous. I'm coming at relationships from a different angle instead of just a behavior modification. You need to stop doing that. Yeah, they need to stop doing that, but I'll tell you what. The gospel is a much better approach. We're justified. We're adopted. Justification and adoption give us a full and complete relationship with God. Romans 8.14 says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. That's how I'm going out into the world, right, every day. Now I forget that. Hence, private ministry, Right? personal time with God. Preaching, you know how many times I have to preach the gospel to myself on a regular basis? Here's the one that I feel gets lost, sanctification. What's sanctification? Somebody shout out a couple of, what's sanctification? Holiness set apart for holiness. Who else? Yes, ma'am. Uh, thank you. A process. So whereas justification and adoption was like a one-time thing, I'm justified. I'm not in the process of justification. Okay? That's not what I believe, right? I'm not trying to earn God's favor every single day with all the stuff I'm doing. I have God's favor. 
I'm justified before God. It's not a process. Neither is adoption. I'm in the family of God, and so are you. But sanctification is different in that it's a process. One more. Dave? It's the ongoing process of being transformed into the image of Christ. Dave, if for some reason you live to be a thousand years old, would your sanctification be complete? Why not? Until glorification, right? Until we're with the Lord. So it's a process where I'm being transformed from something to something. But to something is to be more like Christ. So this, tell me, right? This should play heavily in the way that we're ministering to people. Can we not take a breath and just agree, okay, this person's in the process of sanctification. I wonder where they are on that journey, right? I wonder where they are. By the looks of their life, not very far. But I'm going to approach them knowing I'm, I'm at a certain point in my becoming more and more like Christ. They're at a certain point in their becoming more and more like Christ. And we already established it's not about time or numbers of years. Okay? It's not about that. You have people going to church for 10, 20, 30 years, and they don't appear to be any further along than when they were when they started. I'm not going to indict them on that. I'm going to understand it's a process that I'm not in control over, the process that they and God are participating in. So I don't know about you, but this changes a lot for me when I'm relating to people. First Thessalonians says, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. God is the one making us holy. God is at the, at the helm of our sanctification, just like he was at our adoption and our justification. We're worth, we, we had nothing to do with our justification and our adoption. We have a lot to do with our sanctification. He's the one that's doing the changing work, but I'm putting myself in his hands. I'm making myself available. I'm doing the things that God has called me to do to participate in that sanctifying process, but I'm not the one making the change. I can't change my own heart. Amen? So, the way Christ loves us and works in us is our model as we love others and work with them. And before we can effectively speak into a person's life or guide them towards some kind of change, we must first know them and love them, and we must know and love them as Christ knows and loves us. Okay? So that's pretty key. And we understand our relationship with God. And don't think because you've been here since the 90s that you don't need to address your justification, your adoption, your, and obviously your sanctification. All right, so the four things, there's four elements of redemptive relationships because that's what we're talking about. Our personal ministry relating to people. And the four elements that we're going to cover today are... We, the process is entering a person's world, otherwise known as knowing them. We're going to get to know people by entering their world. 
And when it comes to loving them, as we've said a hundred times, we are incarnating or modeling the love of Christ, his love. That's what loving another person means. I'm offering Christ's love. If I don't have any, go back to, go back to adoption, justification, and sanctification. Okay? And then uh, next session, Vinny and Josh are going to cover, or we're going to, I'm sorry, this is still our session, identifying with suffering and accept with Christ's agenda. Okay, real quick, um, I'm going to go over entering the person's world, and then Eric's going to come back. What do we mean entering a person's world? Is that just a cliche? Like, oh, that sounds really, really cute, Matt. Oh, you're going to enter my world. How sweet. What do you think that means? You're listening. You ask questions, you listen, you get to know them. That's pretty important. Assuming I don't really know them, that's imperative that we take the time to do that. Yeah, somebody have their hand up over here. He said what you're saying. Okay, good. To really know them. And you might say, well, how can you do this on a BART train? Yeah, you can do it. You can do it. Um, you definitely want to establish yourself as someone who cares. I, I'm not going to give you th the six steps to establishing yourself as someone who cares. I'm going to assume that maybe you can figure that one out, what, a, what that would look like, right? To be a caring, humble, patient, kind, see the fruits of the Spirit, right? This is the one thing I'm hoping you guys can walk away with today is maybe something new something to practice, something to try. I love the way that Tripp goes through this in his book. And again, we're going to really get into this in the Sunday training. But when you're trying to get to know somebody and you're trying to enter their world, recognize entry gate opportunities God has given you. Highlight, God has given you. Through casual conversations, because that's how most relationships start. Oh, you're a Warrior fan. I'm looking at your shirt. Oh, they're having a good year. I mean, casual conversations. You don't jump into, um, so if you were to die, hi, I'm Matt. If you were to die today, I mean, you can do, I'm sorry. That, that sounds like I'm putting somebody down. Sorry. Um, that could work, I guess. Um, typically, you don't lead with something like that. You could, God can use that, but typically you're investing a little bit more time. So through casual conversations, God will often give us entry gates into people's hearts. You're trying to get to the heart. You're not focusing on behavior. Shall you have your hand up? Yeah. Yeah, you're three slides ahead of me. That's, that's great. You're, th you're thinking ahead. That's good. He said, aren't we supposed to carry one another's burdens? And we absolutely, we're going to talk about connecting it with, within suffering. Um, but typically for most of us, if we're having re relationships with people, the conversations are casual. They're not going to be the ones that take it to a heart level. But if you are an instrument in the Redeemer's hands, this is what this is what God's doing. He wants to get to the heart because it's the heart that needs to be redeemed. How do we get 
how do we enter into somebody's heart? How do we get to know people at a heart level? God often gives us entry gates into people's hearts. The entry gate is not the objective problem that you're, they're usually talking about. Oh, my boss at work, if he would just stop pushing me around, my whole life would be better. Okay, that's not necessarily the entry gate. But if he says, if this person says, I hate my boss, I hate my boss, he's driving me crazy. Every time I go to work, I get so filled with anxiety, I can barely get off the BART train. I want to quit my job. I heard three entry gates into their heart. Entry gates are usually emotional where I hate, anxiety, fear. Those are entry gates. Remember what Jesus said? Out of the heart comes evil. Out of the heart comes good or evil. If somebody says, I am absolutely, I don't even want to leave my house. I'm just so depressed right now. That's an entry gate into their heart. Guys, it's easy to fix somebody's behavior, okay? Just don't do that. Why don't you get another job? Sorry, I've done, have you done that? You hate your boss. Go get another job. Maybe God wants them in that job. Maybe they're supposed to get persecuted in that job. I don't know. Not my call. Listen with purpose to hear heart words or heart themes. I'm just such a terrible person. I do the same thing every time. I just can't stop doing that. I feel so bad about myself. I just, I'm probably not even a Christian. I mean, what Christian would do that? I just hate myself. Do you hear the entry points? No, you're not. That's not an entry point. You're great. Maybe they're not. Maybe they've done some terrible things. Your job isn't to fix the behavior, whatever, whatever they did. Your job is to enter their world through the gate of, a, of their heart. At your table, there are, is another handout in a I, I debated whether or not to even put it there, but I did. Anyway, these are just samples. You, know, you can use them, add to them, but I want you to notice that there's a theme with these questions. They're not fixed answers. They are, they have a purpose. The purpose is the first group, when somebody says that, these are good initial responses. And if you take a look at these, what they're designed to do is get them to share more, not shut down the conversation. A simple thank you for sharing that, or that must have been really hard. Or I don't even know what to say. I'm just glad you told me that. I'm really glad you told me that. That must have been a really difficult process for you. What else happened? The goal is to get them to continue to share at a heart level. Offering behavior mod fixes shuts down the heart. Oh, okay, thanks. I'll get another job. Tried that. This is my fifth job this year. Maybe the problem is you have an anger problem, right? You don't want to say that. See, that's a fix. Who's doing the changing? Because you're probably going crazy. Some of you are going, well, if I don't say anything, I'm not saying not to say anything. I'm just saying 
get into the heart so that you can make a connecting point there and introduce the Savior because that's where he wants to save. He doesn't want to modify their behavior. He wants to transform their heart. And these words and phrases and themes that you're hearing are entry gates. And so step one, just respond because you can't just sit there and do nothing. You just respond. Thank you for sharing that. I, I don't know how many times I say that in my group. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for sharing that. That must have been really tough. I appreciate your honesty there. What, whatever. Um, when you notice an opportunity, ask appropriate questions in order to connect at the heart level. Resist the urge to fix. Ask open-ended questions. Ask questions that will validate the person, not heap shame on them. And uh, the second half are some sample entry gate questions. So what are you struggling with the most right now? You've, you've mentioned a few things. You're, you're very angry and frustrated and exhausted. What's, what's the one that's really hard for you right now? Just get them to keep talking about that. Okay? Yes. Why do you think? <laughs> you know what I think we're going to do, Rex? Because I think that's really important. I think we're going to take a minute and do a table discussion and just see if you guys would be willing to share not all the glorious times that you had successful entry gates, but some of the challenges with why you think this is a difficult thing to do and maybe what might be driving that fear for you. Are, we, are you willing to do that? Are we okay with that? All right, let's take that. You, got, you guys get the question, why is it hard to take advantage of these entry gate opportunities because we get them every day. But we want to shut them down, make them feel better, like that's going to help. I'm just going to make this person feel better. You know what that does? It shuts down the heart. Why is this tough? I'll bring you guys back five minutes, okay? So make sure everyone gets a chance to share. The facilitator is uh, not the same one as last time. You pick. A minute. All right, let's uh, let's bring it back. What did you guys come up with? Did you fix the problem, Rex? What are some of the challenges with taking these entry gate opportunities? Why is it a little uncomfortable for us, for you, for any of us? Anybody? Yeah. It, ma it makes us vulnerable, does it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, right, Ray?
time-consuming and messy. They might actually start crying or something. God forbid that happen. <laughs> then you just stop everything, gather around them, and pray. They'll shut up. It'll be fine now. <laughs> Sorry, that's terrible. That is terrible, Matt. <clears throat> of course, you want to pray for, some, for somebody, but sometimes you got to let them feel it before you... I mean, wonderful religious things are good until they're used for something bad. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good question. And, you know, I know you guys know this, Dave will laugh at this, but there's, um, there's the times that you've carved out an hour and maybe came in and saw me or, or Pastor Larry or Pastor Dave or somebody, and then there's the lobby pastor. You see me in the lobby selling a book, right? Is that the best time to, to, to try, for me, to try to go through an entry? I feel terrible because sometimes people want me to do that. And it's hard to do that when three other people are like, or maybe after you preach, you know, you've got, so yes, that's an absolutely super important, although Larry's the master at that, isn't he? He is the master at that. But yeah, we really have to be smart because we are involved in lots of relationships. And yeah, it's time consuming and can be really messy. So you kind of got to be committed to this, right? investing time and realizing, you know, God took a lot, my mess, and, and he, he made a life out of it, and he gave me his righteousness, and he adopted me into his family. And again, see, I'll, I'll end with this, but the scariest thing for me is, because I struggle with codependency, I keep thinking if I get in there, I, I'm the one that's on the hook for fixing this person's heart, because I struggle with wanting to be the one that has to do that. So it comes back to the wonderful Redeemer. If I get in there, he's going in there with me, right? He's going in there with me. So I don't have to be afraid. But the, the, these are just some practical things to, to get to know somebody. Obviously, when we do this workshop for 11 weeks, we're going to be able to have lots of table discussions, and you're going to be able to share how it went that week, you know, and your entry gate opportunity. So I really want to encourage you guys to, to come to that. It starts on March 10th. I did want to mention also that we're taping this. So if you miss something, I'll make sure that tape, that uh, sound clip is available to all you guys. Eric, you want to come back up? We've talked about entry gates, and we're going to back up here. Well, I want to um, talk a little bit about what it means to incarnate the love of Christ uh, in a person's life. What does that look like? Um, and I wanted to start out by um, talking, first of all, the fact that we're ambassadors. In 2 Corinthians 5.20, it talks about that we're 
ambassadors for Christ. And we're called to speak truth into people's lives, but we're also called to incarnate it, to be the hands and feet of Christ in a person's life, to be the flesh and bone illustration of what it means, of what Christ's love means to people. Um, God transforms people not only by what we say, but also by the way that we display the love of God has shown to us. And I think then for me personally, this part here where it talks about our character matters, our attitude matters, our heart matters. And nowhere in that statement does it say what we said or what the end result was or whether or not the person's behavior changed or anything. It starts with, you know, I think it's very important to realize that what we do and all the sanctification that we've been through and how the Holy Spirit has been working in our lives is going to prepare us to have relationships with other people and that character matters, attitude matters, and the heart matters. Um, there's a couple of verses here that I wanted to uh, talk about before we look at the uh, Colossians verse. And the first one is in John 14, 11, and it's not on the screen, but Jesus is talking, um, and it's after it's right after the section where he says that I am the way, the truth, the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And he's talking to, uh, and he says in verse 11, believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe in the evidence of the miracles themselves. So he said, if you can't believe what I'm telling you about who I am, at least believe because of all these miracles that I've done. You've, you've watched me closely over the time I've been with you, and you've seen what I've done. So believe in me, if nothing else, because of what I've done. And he did some pretty miraculous things. And then in Paul, in 1 Corinthians 13, just listen to these words uh, as Paul describes love. It never fails. Well, excuse me. It's patient, kind, not envious, not boastful, not proud, not rude, not self-seeking, not easily angered, keeps no records of wrong, doesn't delight in evil, rejoices with truth. All these words are just, they speak to the character. And then I think this, uh, this next passage really speaks to the character. Let me read uh, verses 15 through 17, and then we'll talk about verses 12 through 14. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of, Jesus, of Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. But before that, Paul says, therefore, as God's chosen people, we've been justified, adopted as his children, and we're in this process of sanctification. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Same words that we just heard in the um, 
in the Corinthians verse, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Um, I think that's, that's really key is to understand the, the process of clothing ourselves. Um, you know, coming into these opportunities and clothing ourselves so that uh, with Christ-like character before we can teach and admonish one another. Um, just so key, are we personally prepared to encounter people? Are we have we, you know, have we done the personal ministry to do the relational ministry? And be an example. You know, we can be, a, we can incarnate the love of Christ just by coming up to somebody and just spending time with them. Somebody tells you that, you know, uh, they're sick. You can take a meal over to them. All you have to do is knock on the door and drop off food. You don't have to say anything. You've shown the love of Christ. Somebody's in the hospital. All you have to do is just show up and maybe just say hi. Just came by to see how you're doing. You're showing the love of Christ to them. Somebody like me could be up here speaking, you know, and my wife or one of my kids would come up and just sit in the crowd just to know that, you know, hey, that person's there with me. Uh, just to be there. They don't have to say anything. They're just there with me. And how much that speaks to us just be, to have that person there, have that support without any words or anything, and they're just... In that, just in that uh, response, they're sharing the love of Christ with, uh, with you, and then you can be that same thing in a person's life. Um, character and our attitude, and that just, that's key. Matt? We won't do this table discussion, but just something to think about. Maybe you have remem can remember a time when somebody incarnated the love of Christ or modeled the love of Christ to you, but non-verbally or with very little words, but you felt it. Um, you really felt it. I'm a, there's a, a pastor that works at this church, that I won't mention his name because I don't want to embarrass him, but he's not here, but he was very young. And a, a friend of mine, this was many, many years ago, a friend of mine told me this story. And uh, he, his wife had just given birth to twins, and they were at the hospital, and both twins passed at the hospital unexpectedly. And um, this guy heard about it and went down there. And if you could imagine that the father sitting there with his head in his hands and he sees this guy coming and he looks up and he says, you know, the best thing you can do for me right now is just to sit here. I really don't need to want to talk and I really don't need to hear anything. And he sat there and for the entire afternoon into the evening. And that was like 30 years ago. And this guy remembered that. It's not to say words couldn't have helped, but in that situation, the love of Christ clearly got communicated um, 
and they got to know each other in an amazing way. Um, think about that. Think about ways people have shown that love to you in ways like that. Uh, the last two things we're going to breeze through here really quick. Getting to know people and loving people, you just cannot get away from the need to identify with suffering. Believe it or not, suffering is the common ground of personal ministry because we're all suffering. <clears throat> just by virtue of being a human being on this planet, we suffer, and then we get redeemed, and all of a sudden, unless you believe in the prosperity gospel, all of a sudden it seems to get worse because it does get worse because now I'm being sanctified. I'm being cleansed of sin, and the flesh doesn't like it, and the Satan doesn't like it, and the world doesn't like it, and it's a, it's a battle. And it hurts, so we're all suffering. And personal ministry, an incredible entry gate, is the willingness for brothers and sisters in Christ to, somebody said this earlier to, uh, with Sal, to walk alongside each other during this kind of suffering. And again, there's a lot of practical steps to this that we'll get into in the workshop. This verse in Hebrews just tells us that Jesus is knows exactly how we feel and was familiar with suffering, went through everything we could possibly go through and more, amen. So he's able to empathize with our suffering. He's able to connect with us in ways that words cannot describe. Um, suffering is an identity we share with Christ and each other. And this passage in 2 Corinthians is really, I know you guys know this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. And watch this, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can enjoy that and keep it to ourselves. No, it says so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Is it any more clear than that, that it's, it's not me doing it? The question I'm always asking myself is, do I have something to give? Am I filled with Christ to a point where I have something to give? And you know what? Honestly, the answer is sometimes no. So I don't go out and try harder. I get filled. <laughs> I go back to private ministry and public ministry and pour my heart and soul to God. I feel empty, I, but whatever I need to say, and God will, it's amazing. Okay, so uh, Eric, how are we going to end this, land this plane here? We've got one, is this thing on? Yes, it is. We've got one last uh, section here, uh, and that is to accept with Christ's agenda. And we just need to rest in God's gift of grace, knowing that we have, uh, knowing that we do not have to earn acceptance with him. And uh, this whole process is just relying on the power of the Holy Spirit as we come in contact with people. Um, it's wrong to approach a struggling brother or sister with a critical, condemning, self-righteous spirit. You know, you know how often somebody's come to you, and, and, and that can happen with just, uh, you know, saying, hey, that's a sin, you need to change that right away. Uh, you know, we can condemn people awful fast for the behaviors that they exhibit towards us. Um, 
but that's not really acceptance. But, um, and then we need to be able to grant them the same grace and love that we receive from God because, you know, we're all humans. We've all gone through suffering. We all have sin in our lives, and we um, can identify with each other in that suffering. It's not always the same from person to person, but we've all been through uh, different types of suffering. We need to realize that God has granted us grace and love, and we need to do the same for other people. Uh, but I think it's key to also realize that Christ has called us to change. Uh, the model here is that we're participating in a lifelong work of change, this process of sanctification. So uh, God's call to acceptance is not a call to relax, but a call to work. And we can rest knowing that we don't have to earn his love, but we can realize that he calls us to participate in this lifelong work of change. You know, we're not just there to agree with whatever this person is. You know, yeah, your boss is the most horrible person on earth, but it's to really get to whatever the heart matter is underneath that and then to work towards change. You know, uh, Christ wants, he's working with us towards change, and it's our job. We don't want to just accept people, but we want to help them to work towards change. Um, that we would all, like in this slide, uh, change is God's agenda in order that we would become partakers of his divine nature. As 2 Peter 1, 3 through 4 says, His divine power has given us everything we need for godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Um, God wants us to change. I think it's key to realize that. It's not just accepting where a person is. And obviously, we're going to unpack that a lot more when we get uh, to the actual class this spring. We don't have the time to do it now, but um, realizing that God's given us everything and that our character counts and that uh, we really want to help people take those next steps in their walk with God uh, in the relationships. And yes, it's messy, and yes, it takes time, um, but you can also rest in the fact that we've got the power of the Holy Spirit with us, and uh, God will work in that person's life. And, you know, it's really not up to us to force them or push them to change. We're just being instruments in the Redeemer's hands. All right, guys, let's take a break, and we'll be back in 15 minutes for our last session with Josh and Vinny. They're going to dance and uh, interpretively, right? All right.